Hi, this is Coach Jeff Wright, and in my podcast, Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors, we will take a deep dive with industry experts into different aspects of commercial real estate. My ultimate goal is to give you the knowledge, confidence, and belief that you can transact commercial real estate at a high level, just like you do with residential real estate. Welcome to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. And our guest today is Elisa Gaines. Welcome, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, great to have you. So I wanted to start and give our audience a little bit of background about yourself and actually talk a little bit about how we met in the process. So. First, I want to tell, I always, when we're out in front of audiences, I make jokes about the college that you went to that maybe nobody ever heard of that, that little place called Cornell. Up on the hill. Up on the hill. <laughs> so now you graduate from Cornell, and then from Cornell, you went to work at this little bank called J.P. Morgan Chase. And what J.P. Morgan Chase did for you is really give you a foundation, I think, a great foundation for where you are today. And that is, we're talking about valuation, and you worked as a commercial appraiser to start with for J.P. Morgan Chase. And then you said that wasn't exciting enough for you. And I know you went to work in the investment world at first. You went from there and worked for a family um, that was purchasing properties, and you were involved in that whole process for them and then you went and worked for a company that nationally purchased properties all different types so if something made sense those were the kinds of things so bottom line for our audience just created great exposure for you in that commercial industry and again back to that valuation but after that part you got a little antsy and wanted to do some other things to help some people more people directly and you opened up your own commercial brokerage firm uh, mortgage brokerage firm called Carlisle Financial in Westward, Connecticut. And that's where we met, where we met. Uh, and I remember this like it was yesterday. So we've been, for audience to understand, you've been my go-to commercial mortgage broker for close to 12 years now, close to 12 years. And what some residential realtors may not understand, they will know that they've got a group of people that they use as they go through the residential sales process. And when I say a group of people, They've got their go-to loan officers and go-to inspectors, and if they're an attorney, stay go-to attorneys for closings. In the commercial space, um, it's very, very similar. You need that go-to, and for you, for me, my go-to um, on the financing end has been yourself. But what I want the audience to know, and that's why I've asked you to be our guest on this valuation segment, is you can't finance a property and do a great job unless you know how to value it first. Value it first. So, and that's that's how we've worked. Every property. If there's something that I have any question about, an investment grade property, when I'm looking at that, I'm calling you and we're putting our brains together, running numbers to make sure we understand what we think a proper value is. And when I say proper value for our audience, just understand, I'm really talking about a value that's based on what you think you can finance, based on what's today's world, like what's going on with interest rates and what's going on with the property itself. So. 
Having said, did I miss anything? Anything you want to add to that? No, and and the value is also can be what what an individual buyer determines they want for themselves. They may have a certain value in mind, a valuation process in mind. Yeah, yeah, but and you're saying evaluation process, meaning more towards they want a certain return on their investment. Yes. Yes, yes. certain return. Um, so what I want to do, let's start. Let's start with just what is valuation for commercial properties? Is it similar to residential, different than residential? Let's start right there. Sure. So in commercial, we have three, three forms of valuation. The income approach, which is the most widely used. Sales approach, which is second. And the cost approach, which is only really used for new construction. The income approach is really what we put our focus on. Okay. So what I just heard you say is that is very different. It's very different than residential. I heard yes. you say the sales approach is second because our residential realtors know if I asked 100% of the people when I speak to audiences, 100% of the people know the answer. Their valuations based on comps and sales debt data. But in the commercial world, it's income and expenses of the property. It's income and expenses. Okay. Elaborate. If you're saying income and expenses, talk to me about what that means. So let's do the income first. So okay. That's the rental income that's okay. in place today. Based on the leases, we create a rent roll. So if we have half a dozen tenants, we look at their leases, we create an ana- just sort of a spreadsheet of what that income looks like. Okay, so I heard you say something that I wanna just emphasize for the audience. You said in place income, mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk about that a couple times as we go through. So I just want everybody to understand. In place income today, as is what somebody is collecting Based today. on the lease. Based on the leases. So as we do our sort of first look at something, I'll go through the leases to create our rent roll. Okay, okay. Part of what some residential realtors feel is a little fear, a little fear about the process and what's involved commercially. And the one thing that I know from working with you and doing this for a long time is that they don't need to have fear about it. There are set mathematical formulas and things to plug into that you and I know. You just said if there were six tenants, the way we're talking just so the audience really understands would you do it any different if there were 50 tenants? The same, exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. So I want everyone to know that we, you can, you can value properties that could be 300,000, our residential agent, or it could be three million, or it could or be 30 10, million. Or 30 it's million. It's the same. It's the same process. Same process. Okay. So if it's the same process, let's just talk about, I know there's a magical formula. So let's just talk about what is that formula and just the components. So let's just talk about what is the formula that the agent needs to know. So we call it IRV. Okay. And the I is income. Okay. R is the rate of return that somebody wants. Okay. You have those two, you get your value. Okay. It's very simple. Okay. So. So that I, the income, I know when I hear you speak, and I know in our course that we wrote, I know we talk about three letters. So instead of the income and the ERV, we say it's net operating income. Correct. So, but the formula is ERV, I-R-V. 
So talk about net operating income for everybody to understand. Just what, how do you derive it, just overall? Now, we're, we're not doing math boards, but just a simple concept of how do you derive it? So really, if we, if we simplify it, it's the income from the property less the operating expenses just to run that property okay. gives us our net operating income. Okay. And for those who haven't looked at the course that I wrote, Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors, just want to emphasize to them that as we wrote that course and you helped me with evaluation of financing and so many parts of it, there's examples for people to follow each step of the way. And that's why we believe that somebody doesn't have to have fear that they can really do this. Based oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. It's just the plus minus equals. Okay. Okay, so if we get the net operating income. Okay, so I've got a client that says to me, I want to get an 8% return on, a, on my investment. I want to get a seven, I want to get a nine. Um, let me just back up a second. When I'm working with a residential agent, a residential buyer or residential property, I'm gonna ask that buyer in that first meeting what their goals are. Like, what are they trying to accomplish? And they're gonna come back and they're gonna say, well, I want a certain price range and I want to be maybe in a certain location, so many bedrooms, so many baths. So I want our residential agents to understand that when we're doing this commercially and somebody's going to go buy an investment property. We're going to ask certain things. So I'm going to ask you what location. Maybe you want to be 45 minutes from where you live. And I'm going to say to you what kind of property. And you may say to me, I want an office property, I want an apartment. Another thing that I'm gonna make sure I ask is what kind of return are you looking for? Yes. And that's really, when you're talking about that ERV formula for everybody, once we have that income and we know what that return goal that our client has, that gives us our magical value. value. And that gives us what they're willing to pay. So I don't want to oversimplify for everybody, but that's really as simple it is, as it is, is when we can determine that net operating income and we know what their target goal is for their return, then we know how to make an offer for them in terms of what they're willing to pay, right? And this is what we do all the time. Look, the conversations that you and I have, I try to do that in every place because you don't want anybody to overpay and you wanna make sure they're buying something that has value in place today. So it's it's an exercise we do all the time. And I know often part of the reason we collaborate or part of the reason why, even if we didn't collaborate, that we go through that drill up front is that there's gonna be properties out there that are overpriced and somebody doesn't understand how you determine if they're overpriced or not. When we go through that ER formula and figure out that net operating income and what that that return is, that cap rate that's there. An appraiser is gonna value the exact same way you do, the same way I do. So really important to understand. Okay, so let's go next. Now, residential realtor knows what they wanna get from a seller in preparation for listing a property. What does a commercial agent want when they go to talk to somebody about selling an investment property? Talk about the conversation, the things that they're gonna to wanna to make sure they get and why. 
So we want to get up front the, um, the income in which, first we would ask for tax returns and we don't necessarily need somebody's entire tax return, um, just the Schedule E that would show this property because people don't want to divulge their personal information. So somebody that's not familiar with the term Schedule E, just what is on that form? So what what is that providing us? That provides us the income and expenses as they have declared. Okay. Um, and so that helps us start to put together our evaluation. Can I stop you there? Sure. So remember in the beginning, I said we're going to say this a couple times, as is income and expense. So when you just said declared, it's what they're declaring as and what the bank is going to use for financing as their as is income and expenses. It's what they've declared on their tax return. So what they've declared is what they've got to live with for what their value that's going to be established because a lender is going to use that appraiser is going to use that we're going to use that so okay so they're asking for tax returns tax Next. returns okay a rent roll a lot of times if you're dealing with a small property a four five six eight family the owner may be not have that so we get the leases and then we create the rent roll it's not hard we just create that okay. and then we get their expenses real estate taxes we can look up utilities you know you really want to get that from them and insurance you want to get their number but you also can talk to your own agent to get a ballpark price right. and then we can put together our income and expenses based okay. on that okay and so you're going to have your income and expense, but we talked about with that R formula. So we talked about that R, which that return or the cap rate. So now we know with a buyer, we know a buyer has a target number that they're willing to pay based on the return they want. But where the seller, how do you establish that value? You, we've got part of the net operating income, but what about that cap rate? How do you determine what that is? So that you can look, there are some public data that you can look it up, but also in that case, you're going to look at market data. You're going to have some good conversations with appraisers. Here's where you will look at sales comps and see what other similar properties have traded for in the marketplace. Because the seller could say, I want to sell it for, I don't know, five, five cap, six cap. But if everything else in the market's traded at an eight, that's not going to work. Okay. So I'm going to dissect that a little bit for everybody just to follow. So we said early on that net operating income and the rate allows us to get to the value. So one of the things I don't know that we emphasize, I want to just emphasize right now that if we have two of those three things in the ERF formula, we can figure out the other number. So when you say that we can look at comps, I want our audience to know that if somebody looks at and everybody can go on LoopNet, they can go on Crexy and they can see offerings of properties. And in those offerings, there are many times they're going to give you what a net operating income is for a property, they're going to have told you that. And then you're going to be able to look up and see what it's sold for, to your point, when you say about sales comps. And so when we just divide those two numbers, we're able to figure out what, what, our, the, cap rate what was. the cap rate was. And so we literally, you know, you mentioned there's some data publications for it, and you mentioned talking to appraisers. I just want to emphasize the appraiser part is that 
relationships in the commercial world are just as important as relationships in the residential world. And the tighter those relationships are and the more you help people, the more they're willing to help you. And so I know that anytime I have a question about that cap rate, I think it might be something that's a little bit unique or I don't have a sense from other things that have sold for, I will immediately text a couple of appraisers and say, here's our scenario. What do you think? And you know what? You and I know this. We always get response. We always get feedback. And we combine that feedback because of the relationships we have. It helps us to be able to be in that range. It just makes the whole process smoother. So you go into this knowing you've backed up your right. data. And, and I also want to say for everybody with the cap rates, there isn't a perfect science. So we know that. So somebody may say to you, they think it's a range of seven, seven and a half percent. And that's okay to say as you're looking at a value of your client, you know, we're thinking somewhere in the seven to seven and a half percent range. So you can establish a price range overall. Okay. So the seller, so now you've got, you can apply some cap rate. You've got the income and expense. You can determine value from there for your seller. Okay. The next thing I want to do is I know that you work with just a whole bunch of residential realtors like myself that reach out to you um, for your expertise and, and questions. Also reach out for you, to you to be able to help them get their project finance or property finance. I want you to share some of the examples of residential agents reaching out to you on some things that didn't work. Like you couldn't help them get financed because of some of the things, you know, that were um, inherent with the property or some of the things they didn't understand. So just take us through some examples of things that from a value standpoint didn't make sense or didn't work because. So the biggest, the biggest one that comes to mind is when properties have a considerable vacancy rate. A residential realtor might not be experienced and they'll factor in rents in their analysis, but we can't use rents that aren't there in factoring in our income and expenses. Goes back to your as is. As is. And as so is income. We, yeah. can, we can make it work sometimes if we have a letter of intent to lease. Like, you know, if you're going to buy the property, I promise to lease and pay you such and such, such and such. But without that information, I can't factor in a rent on the vacant spaces. Okay, I want to just make sure for our residential agents who haven't done this at all. So our letter of intents are offering for the property. So if you have a letter of intent, you're saying from somebody who's going to be purchasing the property and they're going to be leasing. So if the, if if there's a property that has several vacancies and that buyer knows people that will rent those vacant spaces, okay. we can get a, what we would, I know it's called the same thing, a letter of intent. It's, um, it's a letter of intent to lease. So it's basically a promise to lease once you buy the building. Okay. Okay. Um, we have done that several times okay. because, well, I don't want to go off into the financing, but um, it's very important to use what is in place today. To establish the value. Yes. Again, valuation is what we're focused on for right now. Okay, so give me some other examples of maybe some things with residential agents, some of the things they brought, brought to you that you know, the value didn't work for whatever reason didn't work. Um, I'm thinking of an example where the seller signed a lease at a, at a rent that was much higher than market and it would never appraise because it was an unrealistic rent. They did for whatever their reasons were on their business. They, they're paying a very high rent. But when the buyer is going to buy that property, we have to use actual market rent. So the, the sale price was greatly inflated based mm -hmm. on a rental rate that we couldn't substantiate. Okay, so I'm going to break 
break that apart for you. So when that appraiser's coming in to value the property overall, they're looking at the leases to make sure the leases market value because they need in that ER formula, they need that income and they want to make sure that income is market value, not... Um, they want to make sure that it's market value, yeah, not leave some... It at that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we'll leave it at market yeah. value. Okay, sounds great. Um, I'm thinking of another example where the marketing brochure, we call it an offering memorandum or the marketing brochure, um, wasn't accurate. And the rents, perhaps, or the expenses, when we got down to our due diligence, it wasn't it wasn't all accurate. And so that changed the value considerably. I'm thinking of a couple of examples very specifically. And um, the buyer tried to renegotiate the price, which is really the only thing that can be done. The price has to be adjusted. And we had a conversation with the seller and said, okay, here's your leases. Here's the expenses you have provided. A minus B equals C. Show me where we're wrong. And they said, basically, too bad. I want this price. And the buyer said, sorry, can't do it. Yeah. And again, it goes back to we keep repeating for everybody. They remember one thing from this podcast today, and they'll remember hopefully more, is that you need the income and expense in place for your value. And that's the way a bank's going to lend it, and that's the way an appraiser's going to appraise. So unless someone's paying cash or someone doesn't care about what they're providing, they're not looking for financing, they're going to be able to purchase the property in their own, that's a call the buyer makes. But if somebody's going to be financing, that income and expense is critical. So I would recommend very strongly that a listing agent go through these steps before they put it on the market to avoid heartache later and do this due diligence now yeah. before they put together their own package. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. So so I want to just change gears a little bit. We spent all this time talking about, you know, what the industry calls the direct capitalization approach based on income and expense. So I just want to talk about some other ways that valuation takes place. And just for our audience to understand, um, you know, and I've shared other times in other podcasts, that I've spent a lot of my career with land development work. And from a valuation standpoint, point, there are times that some properties sell for prices that are like two times, three times, four times more than you would think they would sell for based on any of the land sales comps that someone's looking at. And so talk to me about, you know, what is happening in that scenario. And let's just use a Starbucks as an example. So somebody is building a Starbucks on this piece of land and that land sold for a lot more money than you and I ever thought it would sell for. Why did it sell for so much more money? In that case, it would be what is the, the intended use for the land. So if, if, that, if you can build on that property a Starbucks or you can build a very strong national credit or you can build a 50 unit. National credit meaning a national tenant. So a Starbucks, a, a McDonald's, a Walgreens, something that we know nationally is right okay yeah and so that would that would equate to paying a higher price for the land or if you can build a 50 unit apartment building on it you're going to pay a higher price let's go back to the Starbucks first so for clarity for everybody so we talk about value being earth we said it's income and a cap rate and that's how we establish so with the Starbucks so that the audience understands if someone's just selling a piece of land to a local person that's going to come and put up a mom-and-pop store or mom-and-pop office building 
those market rents, those rents are going to be market rents. They're not going to be. And those leases aren't going to be long leases. It's going to be three years, five years. A Starbucks is willing to come in and sign a long-term lease, 20 years, 25, 30. And they're also going to pay top of market for if there's a location that they want to be for their rent. So when you got a long-term lease with a national tenant, and you take what that overall income is, and their cap rate, a lower cap rate, a higher value and a lower cap rate is indicative of risk and in this case Starbucks will provide the least amount of risk to someone buying that investment so when you say lower cap rate long-term lease national tenant the value of that property for them is dramatically more and that's why ultimately you see with that land or and then you just said I know that personally I sold a piece of property in a local municipality and that property I remember the town saying the property was worth $700,000. I sold it for $3.5 million. The reason why, just what you said, they were able to get 90 apartments on that piece of property. And so when you value that land based on what you could get, it was ended up making it worth five times more. So, so I want to just end a couple more things just in terms of valuation. What do you do when someone comes to you and say, how do I value something that's a vacant commercial building. What do they do? No income or expense. No income or expense. So a traditional lender is not going to finance it. Maybe somebody's going to pay cash and then that's fine. There are people who will do that because they have deep pockets. If they're trying to finance it, a traditional lender won't do a vacant building. So we have to either, we have choices. We can get them a bridge loan, and which is a loan that bridges them for the time when they're leasing up and doing some renovation until the property is fully occupied. Or we get seller, we get them to work out seller financing for a specified period of time. Do the same thing, reposition the property, and then we put on traditional permanent debt. So I understand that about the financing part. I'm talking about now the value part. So the answer, because I get this question a lot, and so I'll even answer, I'll answer for where I was going because I wasn't clear about that, is that when somebody goes to sell something that is no income, no expense in place, that's when they're going to look at what can be done with the property. That's when they're going to look at maybe it's an owner-user coming to purchase it and the value to them they can establish based on what their business is and what they're willing to pay on a lease because ultimately even though it's they're buying it they're going to probably have their own lease or their own rent to help determine what the financing so it's just more complicated to figure out overall and it goes back to again to comparables what can be what can be done with it goes to location and what potentially from a zoning standpoint could apartments be put there could a big retail so all of those things go into if it was repurposed or reused overall. Okay, so I want to end with this last question that I ask everybody. I think it's really important. And you've been around this industry for you know a long time. And you've helped a lot of residential realtors. So you really, I, I think I absolutely know your answer to this. But I want you just to say, um, do you have, how do you think, do you have any doubt that a residential realtor could be successful selling commercial real estate? I have no doubt. I have absolutely 
absolutely no doubt. I work with residential realtors often, and as they've transitioned to commercial, then they become expert, and we continue to collaborate. It is 100% possible. Yeah, it sounds great. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. As a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast to receive new episodes as soon as they are released. For more information on me, my team, and my educational programs, visit my website at www.coachjeffwright.com. Thank you for listening, and here's to your success.